I like it spooky. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the I Like It Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. That's it? No funny blurbs? Nothing? What are you, funny blurbs? What are you talking about? Lame. You must have been brainwashed. What, am I supposed to entertain you guys or something? I'm here to entertain you. Dance, monkey. Dance. (laughs) (sighs) Do we have some news to talk about? Let's get to the news. Got some new news here, uh, news speculation, who knows, uh, some exciting news coming from the Friday the 13th camp, according to it producer Roy Lee. I guess there's some big news coming very soon on the franchise. So a lot of speculation talking about <laughs> exactly, probably. So who knows? Hopefully we'll get something coming. I know they've had a lot of the legal battles, but that was resolved, right? I mean, I think the judge ruled. so. Hopefully something going forward. Hopefully they worked it out. Victor Miller, Sean Cunningham, hopefully worked something out and we will get some new movies coming soon. Yeah, I didn't understand that whole thing because to the best of my knowledge, it was resolved. It was like it wasn't resolved. Like it was reported, okay, everything's you know, everything's wrapping up, it's done. So and so has rights to this, so and so has rights to that. And then it was still just kind of stuck in limbo. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that of course isn't day to day news, but I mean, it's good news. I, I want something new. I love anything new Friday the 13th. I'll take it. Well, and of course, there's a, a slew of fan films that have come out in, in the wake of this whole legal disaster, which is fantastic. Uh, the fact there, there's another one coming out that I'm interested in. It's um, like a prequel. And it's called Pamela. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know it's it looks interesting to, to see what happened before you know, Jason drowned and why she is the way she is, which they explored a little bit in the game. If you played Friday the 13th, the game obtained these cassette tapes and it was like a back, not really a backstory, but it was like she was uh, at the police station right after Jason drowned and all this stuff. And it was just things you never heard. And it was interesting, but I don't know with all the cool fan films and all that backstory stuff. I think all of us fans are craving a legitimate new feature film. Damn. I forgot about those tapes. I remember Brian, Brian and I used to play all the time and we would like get a static every time we would open a drawer. I got a tape. It didn't happen very often. It seemed like, but it was exciting stuff. We probably played each other and didn't know it. You guys were probably the jerks that were like in that one spot on the rock where like, I couldn't get you if I was Jason, no matter what I did. No, no, we, we played straight up. It was fun. But towards the end, I hated playing Jason. Like once everybody kind of got used to the counselors and, but then it would still, I felt like I would shine sometimes when I was Jason and kind of pull out some cool moves. And I wish I would have recorded like a lot more of that, but it was such a fun game to play. And then we haven't, now we haven't turned it on in years because there's probably really nothing going on. No, it's still, I mean, it's about a month ago. I think I turned it on one night randomly and it's still, you can still play it. Yeah. Wow. We need to all do that some night. I'm going to go do that right now. You guys, uh, you got the rest of the show, right? Peace out. We got it. Yep. Bye guys. I can't do that. I'm like, I'm contractually obligated to sit here and talk. So I guess I'll, I'll play afterwards. We got you for the next three to five court ordered. Oh man. Court ordered. Brian, you got any, you got any news for us, Brian? So do you think that with the Friday the 13th stuff, it's just like Jason said, all in the background, they're working out like, Oh, how much am I going to get? How much am I going to get? What percentage does this person get? What percentage does this person get? 
Like, as much as we bust Jason's balls on how bad Halloween Kills was to us, like, it deserves a rewatch for me because if I go in with a different mind frame of, I'm just going to go in and enjoy the movie and not, like, think it's going to be this cinematic masterpiece. I will enjoy it. I feel like it's helping move along some of this other stuff to get rebooted by how well it did at the box office. Like, this reboot franchise, how well it did is bringing back some other stuff that, if it flopped, would not be coming back. Like, we're getting a new Hellraiser. We're getting a new uh, Evil Dead. We're getting a new, you know, I would imagine eventually we'll get a new Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, stuff like that. Like the Munsters. Would the Munsters have been done if Halloween Kills what and the other movie? Halloween 2018 it seemed like it really opened some doors by the amount of money it made. So every, everybody wants to get in on that. When they're, I, I, I think it's what you're saying, Brian, is they're, they're figuring out, obviously just a guess, but when there's that much money on the table, you know what I mean? An agreement, a deal is going to be made. And the people, they have to know that money is to be made with this franchise. With that said, though, I mean, yeah, I'm interested to see new things. I'm, you know, the, the whole Halloween, I don't want to say reboot. Is it a requel? The, the latest uh, Halloween trilogy, you know, it's, it's great to go. And the new Evil Dead, I can't wait to see it. Hopefully a new Friday the 13th comes out. But I stand with the, you know, I, I want to see new things. I want to see new things. I'm tired of seeing the same old thing over and over and over. Except for Halloween, which we can keep that going over and over. As long as it's part six. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go off of that timeline, huh? At some point, it's going to look like somebody's family tree who, like, they were born with Jesus was like the baby in the manger next to him. And it's just like all these fingers coming out of it. My news is... Surprise, surprise, we're getting a Joe Bob special Dang. in October. Hey, everybody, have you heard the news? Joe Bob is back in town. He's over at the drop in So we're getting a Joe Bob special on Shutter Dang. October 21st, the weekend, you know, before Halloween, the Friday or two Fridays before then. And I think what you guys are probably most excited about, and I don't even know if you saw this, but Elvira was on a podcast or she was doing an article with someone and she said she's not doing conventions because of COVID. She's an older person, so I would imagine, you know, that would be a worry with we're still dealing with COVID. But she does have something going on with Joe Bob in the last Dang. drive-in and Darcy on Shutter. So oh, if that'll be the Halloween special, uh, sounds like it's in the works. That would be exciting. We got Sven Gooley last year, earlier this year. Clint's starting to write a chart and keep track of how many times I say Joe Bob. Just wrote the word ding is all. <laughs> so uh, kind of piggybacking off Dang. the Joe Bob news, he's going to be in Burlington, Iowa the week before that at the Capitol Theater. Uh, we got another director coming to Iowa, Iowa City. We have John Waters, October 30th, is going to be at the Elegant Theater in Iowa City. Um, it's a Sunday. It's a 7 o'clock show. It's the day before Halloween. Uh, I'm really thinking about going. I have some other friends that are going, so I'm like, oh, do I want to go? It's the day before Halloween. I could just take Monday off. No one at work's going to think that it's weird I take Halloween off. Until they listen to this episode. I don't know. I'm, I'm kicking the idea around to going to see John Waters. I, I know nobody on the podcast outside of me is really a big fan, but I heard from a friend that he's just the nicest person you would meet, and he's uh, really articulate, and he's a great show to go to. So I'm kicking around the idea of going to that one, too. 
You are incorrect, my friend, because I am a John Waters fan. In fact, I hope that you go so I can live vicariously through you. So, I love the fact that you threw that you have other friends in there just to kind of, you know, make fun of us here. Like two. <laughs> Not just you, losers. Well, kind of our buddy, Jason. Tad is going to the John Waters thing with his wife. So I'm like, oh, I kind of want to go. You guys should go and see if you can, uh, you know, interview him or get him to say a quick blurb. And both you and Tad can use it on the various podcasts on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Uh, So my news, I got a couple blurbs here. Nothing big going on. Um, Well, nothing big as far as a lot to report about it. But uh, in in the TV world... Keanu Reeves is going to make his television debut in Hulu's Devil in the White City, where uh, he is going to play H.H. Holmes. And this series is an adaptation of the book, which followed the events of a serial killer in the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. It's going to be interesting because we've had you know a few different actors now play H.H. Holmes, like in American Horror Story. I don't know, so, but I mean there's a lot of story to be to be explored there and you know like on american horror story it was kind of a subplot season five i think or whatever it was with the hotel i don't i don't think i've ever seen keanu reeves play a villain am i wrong no yeah no nothing i can think of yeah there's nothing to cut so it'll be interesting to see him play a villain is because he's kind of like uh and I'm not taking away from him as an actor, but you know, people joke that he's like the same in every role. But to a degree, he is. He's just kind of straightforward, plays everything straight. So does he have it in him to bring that devil out, you know, that monster out? That'll be interesting to see who's bringing us something else kind of cool. And then um, again, in the TV world, Vince Gilligan, who, you know, directed Breaking Bad and, you know, brought us Better Call Saul. He's got a new series coming out that is being compared to the X-Files and the Twilight Zone. It was first reported by Deadline this week that he is developing a brand new television series project with Sony Pictures and that he's set to begin shopping to networks in the coming weeks. And again, it's supposed to be uh, the realm of X-Files and Twilight Zone. So that'll be exciting to see. So kind of going somewhat horror when he's done like drama type stuff before. But uh, yeah, I love Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. So I'm excited to kind of see what he can do in our favorite genre. Well, and it says here in the article that he's known more for focusing on, as it says in the article, the human condition. You know, he focuses a lot on action and reaction and feelings and stuff like that, as opposed to like crazy external circumstances. So, you know, maybe these wild, you know, almost sci-fi horror fantasy stories will be really centered with some humanity. It'd be interesting to see. You said Keanu Reeves is playing a. You said Keanu Reeves is playing a villain in a movie playing H.H. Holmes, so it doesn't get much more villainous than that. Yeah, late 1800s there at the World's Fair. Yeah, maybe he was just like trying to clean up the streets of Chicago. Jesus. Vigilante, like Charles Bronson. (laughs) Hey, you know, uh, they they talk about that in The Walking Dead, if there's any Walking Dead fans listening, you know, anymore anymore there's any fans. Um, Everybody is a villain in somebody else's story, you know what I mean? So yeah, maybe H.H. Holmes was doing God's work. Or maybe that's what the voices in his head told him. I mean, maybe he was doing the devil's work. There was a, there's an author that's at quite a few conventions. He was at Flashback, and I should have stopped and looked at his table, but he does a lot of the um, serial killer stuff. He had John Wayne Gacy and H.H. H. Holmes, and he had uh, Jack bought a book of his about Albert Fish, 
and he said he read like the first two chapters and he's like I can't read anymore this is so freaking like demented he said it's just so unsettling to me interesting when they go back and most people know of John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer and newer ones it's interesting when they go back and study some of the older people and maybe what their triggers were and what caused them to be the way they are you know, and I don't know it'll go that deep into it, but it's always interesting to me that as time has gone on, people still do these things. It was funny when we were at Flashback, Jason looks at me, it was, it was just him and I, and he's like, I'm not going to tell Tanya, but when we leave here and start heading home, we're going to go to where the, the John Wayne Gacy house was. He said, like, don't say anything. You know, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of, that's cool. I won't. And then shortly after that, Brian, he, he pipes up and he's like, did you guys know that John Wayne Gacy's house is right around here? And I look at Jason, he looks at me, kind of wink, wink, goes, oh, Jason, I didn't know that, really. Hmm, that's interesting, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, Jason, you guys, uh, you did stop there, but I think you sent us a message and said the Gacy's house is no longer there. There's a new house or structure there or something. So we went down there. I kind of felt weird driving by. I like going to, like, filming locations, but this was kind of different. I felt kind of odd going to where all this horrible stuff happened. But yeah, we were just driving through this neighborhood and my wife is like, where the hell are we going? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. This is where it told me to turn. You know, I'm just like, cause we we're supposed to be going to like spirit and stuff. And I turned down. Yeah. There was a nice, beautiful new home just built in the last couple of years there. And kind of makes mm-hmm. you wonder why you would want to build your house there. But yeah, it was a nice little neighborhood. It- I wonder if it has a, I wonder if it has a basement or if they're like, nope, I don't want this house. No basement. I just want it on a slab. If I had my little horror den down there would be extra weird like come on down guys now nah, i'm good <laughs> stay up here oh man it'd be so easy to it'd be so easy to swipe stuff from your basement i would dress in all black and then like you'd be like man the other night this action figure just got up and floated out of the room and i haven't seen it since you know and it's me running in the background with my maximum overdrive poster that i want <laughs> it was weird it was just like a nice little neighborhood and you can tell like they're kind of upgrading it they had a lot of like older like little houses and then next to it was like a big newer house so it seems like that's kind of the going thing where they're just you know buying houses tearing them down and building something bigger and newer well and brian you were uh you were talking about hh Holmes and you know potentially why he killed or why he did what he did uh i read recently that one of his first kills or something was business partner or his insurance agent or something like that. Something to do with, with a bunch of money, which got me thinking about money, which thinks that makes me think we should probably take this to a sponsor so we can get some money. So you want to visit a haunted house? Hmm? I think I have one that should suit you. That is, if you dare follow me. Ah, here we are at the door. Happy haunting. (laughs) Hey, haunters. Clint here from the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. As a former haunted attraction owner, I know firsthand how expensive mass advertising can be. If you are looking for an alternative way to advertise directly to your target audience, look no further than the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. Simply email us at ilikeitspookypod at gmail.com and we will get back to you with info about our affordable rates. So we kind of changed things up. We added the sponsor before 
the why are we so poor? Because we are broke from flashback. We were at flashback a couple weekends ago, and we are so broke, we have to add a bonus episode for all the stuff we got. So this episode, we're just going to cover a few things, and then look for a bonus episode on why we are so poor, flashback, horror, 20th anniversary edition. I picked up a couple things. Um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we went to Spirit after the convention. Uh, I'd found out one of those had opened right the day before, I think, that we, or the weekend of flashback. So they have, you know, I'm a big trick or treat fan, you know, with Sam, the enforcer of Halloween. So they had a couple new little statues that I really wanted. So I was uh, trying to find those. So we went to Spirit. They were sold out. I was like, crap. So I didn't get those. And, my wife had been ragging on me. I shouldn't say ragging. <laughs> she might take that wrong. So cut that out. Uh, so my wife was getting on me about how much we had spent. I'm going to amplify ragging. It's going to be like. You, you better edit this right, Brian. So my wife had been getting on me about how much I had spent at flashback. It was it was a nice little chunk. You know, every time I come back up to the room, I had something new in my hand to show her. So we didn't have anything at Spirit, but then. I went back to work on Monday and then Monday night I had looked and I saw that our spirit was opening up. So she went over there Tuesday morning, was a trooper and got me the two little Sam statues that I wanted. One of them's really cool. You know, I'll post a picture on our socials of um, him standing next to a light post and the light post lights up. And then there's another one where he's holding a jack-o'-lantern and it lights up too. I don't like a lot of spirit stuff, but some of the stuff that they do put out. I love having in my collection. That's what I picked up. Even, even though she was pissed how much I had already spent, she went and spent a little bit more. But then she had to let me know, you know, it was part of my birthday present, which is coming next month. So that was all right. What about you guys? What would you get, Brian? So I've had this for like a week, two weeks, and I just set it on top of the thing because, like I said, with Flashback, we've just been running crazy and busy and catching stuff up for the week. So I picked up. I don't know if they did a repressing or if they just had more of them, but the, Ding. the Joe Bob, the last drive-in record. God, the freaking front of it is just awesome. I don't know if you guys can see the front, but I'll show it on the... Just Joe Bob, Darcy, John Brennan, Yuki. Yeah, it's a play on Sgt. Pepper's album cover, which is very cool. Uh, Street Trash, Basket Case, The Stuff, The Robot from Chopping Mall. Jack Frost, just kind of like all the movies they've done. You could just go through and find, I mean, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, just an awesome front to it. If if you get the green one, then you can just give me the red and the green one, because those would look really good in between my two Christmas movie, Ghoulish Gary, 18 by 24 prints, Night of the Comet, and Silent Night, Deadly Night. That'd be perfect. Whole little Christmas section there. On the back, it has a, looks like the lyrics for all the songs. Pretty cool. Ship to store. Is a company that did it, and Slasher Design Company did the um, artwork. Pretty happy about that one. I'll put it on oh, maybe next weekend, Finn and I. Okay, Jason, you're the record collector, and I know you take it pretty seriously. So what do you do with these? I just cut the plastic out around and keep the sticker, and I just put the sticker in the album cover. I know some people will peel it off and just stick it on the cover. I've done that with some other ones where there's like... But then I just feel like you're sticking something on the cover, so kind of like <laughs> damaging it. But it still looks cool that way. Now, I just throw it in there, and it's always there. I like to keep mine complete. 
You know, like one one day, like twenty years from now or so, you guys are gonna be broke, and you're gonna be like, maybe we can borrow some money from Clint because he didn't open any of his stuff, and so he sold it for mint. Nah, we'll be all right. We we're, we're not that obsessed. So speaking of mint, one of the two things that I picked up. Quick little backstory. Um, Jason has this. He got it from that. They're from those little Halloween figures are from Fright Rags. Yeah, fr- Fright Rags. And it was that about a year ago, Jason, they they made them available. You could get um, a Michael Myers, you could get a Laurie Strode, or you could get a Linda. I've always wanted the Linda just because there are no other Linda action figures. And so while we were at Flashback, Jason brought his and got it signed by PJ Stoles, which he'll talk about in the bonus episode. And uh, But what's cool is, is he got this, and I didn't even know this existed. I can't believe I didn't, but he got this uh, blank external clamshell to put it in and display it, which I thought was really cool. Um, now it's extra protected. The reason I'm babbling about that is one of the two things I got is, was it yesterday? What's today? No, it's two days ago. I was at the grocery store and um, I just happened to look at my phone. I'm in line at the deli waiting for my turn. Fright Rags announced that they re-released those three figures. Um, I don't know if it's still available. It was Friday, late afternoon, early evening. So I hopped on and got the Linda action figure. That's one of the things. The other thing is night before flashback i'm running around like an idiot trying to make sure i got all my shirts ready my decals and you know we're taking the trip to chicago so i'm getting everything around getting the truck loaded up i sit down and take a break and jason's like sends me a link for um a trick-or-treat 1986 trick-or-treat record soundtrack and i just i didn't even hesitate i just boom 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 bought you know and how do you not buy that and i'm hoping that that has the backwards track you know, the Sammy Kerr, I don't even know what it was called, but I don't think the, al- is the album called like Songs in the Key of Death. I hope so. That'd be so cool. Hopefully it's like really heavy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I had to share, I had to share that with you. Um, I didn't pick one up myself, but kind of regretting it now because I, I do love that movie. So I'm sure they're still available. I'm going to check it out. I'll take a picture of mine and let you see it. But there is going to be a glare on the picture because I'm leaving the plastic on. And then, uh, you know, talking about Spirit Halloween, I have not gotten anything from spirit halloween yet i've gone to quite a few of them looking for they brought out the killer clowns from outer space popcorn baby statue i went to a couple different spirit halloweens by me i can't find them jason was talking about you know tanya went to spirit halloween and he's like yeah he was like you know sent me a message and he's like she picked up uh this or that and uh, anyway he said they had the killer clowns popcorn baby statue they had two of them but they're like 90 bucks so we were like no way and i'm like oh my god i can't find them they have them i was like please go back i hate asking people for help i hate feeling like i'm inconveniencing people but i was like the collector in me is like i'll give you my firstborn go back and buy one so later on in the day jason gets out of work he goes there and there was two of them there now there was only one and he sends me a picture and the box is just busted to shit he's like do you want me to get it and i'm like no not a chance and then I found another one at a Spirit Halloween by me, and the same thing. The box is busted to shit. It's a poor box design. It's easy to break and stuff, so I haven't picked that up yet. But hopefully I can someday soon. And then go to a convention and have the is it Chiodo Chiodo Brothers sign it. Keep looking online. I'm sure you'll find it. They'll release them there here soon, hopefully. Well, they just re-released uh, the, the Acid Pie, and it's in the same style packaging. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I mean, that's cool, but... Uh, no. You know what sucks about those popcorn babies is you can actually get more realistic looking ones elsewhere and they're a hell of a lot cheaper. To the best of my knowledge, there's no packaging. They're just kind of loose. And, you know, it's, to me, it's all it's all about the display. So, so that's uh, the tip of the iceberg on why we are all poor 
And like we said, uh, keep your ears open here real soon. There's going to be a bonus episode to let you know why we are all really, really poor. Aren't we going to put the bonus episode out before this one, though? Yeah, you're right. So everything I just said doesn't matter. I was thinking that, too, but I was like, oh, wait a minute. Well, by the time you listen to this, you know what we were talking about already. So disregard. We don't pay much for producers around here. So, so yep, that's why we're slightly poor. You'll find out. Well, you had already found out why we're really poor, and there'll be more coming. You know, it's it's Halloween season. We're we're gearing up our buy-in also, and it's a good time of the year, even though it's still August right now. But I can name like three. I can name three or four things just from NECA alone that are still in the pre-order stage. That as soon as it hits, I'm grabbing. I'm with you. If I'm not homeless out on the street because I spent all my damn money on toys. You'll have the best looking refrigerator box. <laughs> can I get in your fridge? No. It's in the box. You can't open the box to get to the refrigerator. What the hell's wrong with you? I need to probably sell this someday. All right, boys. You want to get to the movie talk? Clint picked a gem of a movie this time. Hey, this was a group effort. So just so this is clear. (laughs) So first of all, I got to preface this that I know that the movie that we watched and we're going to discuss is not the best movie in the world. But with that said, it's got a great story and it's not too terrible to preface this. I came up with a list and I was like, hey, here's a cool list of movies that don't get a lot of love. Some are off the beaten path. Some are more mainstream. What do you guys think? We can work off this list for a while. And both of you motherfuckers looked at this thing and you're like, yeah, sure. That's cool. And then maybe we could do this, this and this also. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. So you guys signed off on this, man. Don't put the blame on me. Somewhere in the world, there is a fan of the movie we're going to talk about. And they're going to be like, holy shit, they covered this movie. That's awesome. So this week we watched the the not so classic classic i madman i don't even know who directed it i don't know who started in it i did watch it though I'm sure you guys got the details so the guy that directed it is the same guy that directed the gate movie i gotta look at his name because it doesn't flow off the tip of my tongue um blah, 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 blah. i don't i don't want to butcher it like jason's probably gonna butcher this movie but um tibber takas or yeah it's got to be takas tibber takas directed this and again he directed the uh, the gate movie also which this is way better than gate but that's just my opinion gate's still a cool movie so i madman retitled hardcover in the uk and europe a 1989 american horror film directed by tibber takis um yeah who went on to do the gate the creature in the early part of the movie i was like that's that creature from the gate that's the same creature just smaller so yeah he went on to do some stuff that's Maybe not mainstream, but I mean, pretty popular in horror circles. Um, the Gate. There was an, I should have looked again. There was another The Gate. The Gate Two. He also directed the movie Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Did a lot of Hallmark stuff for the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Christmas stuff. Did you ever notice we talk a lot about Christmas on this show? That's just an observation. It seemed that a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff ties in. Like, we talk music all the time, how a lot of this stuff ties into music, but it seems like six degrees of separation from any horror movie actor, soundtrack, director, goes back to Christmas or the Hallmark Channel. They all end up there somehow. Th- this movie, I, Madman, not to be confused with 1982's Madman with Galen Ross, which is a completely different movie, completely different story. This movie, 1989, I, Madman, that we're talking about, is yet again, like our last episode, Night of the Comet, a Christmas story, because it happens in Christmas time. It's sometime in December. And if you look, Jenny Wright, uh, in her apartment, 
She has a stocking on her fireplace. There's a Christmas tree lit up. It's a Christmas movie. So when this movie started, I was I was into it. I kind of like the story about it. It's about a young lady who's reading. She's really into reading. She gets this book and she's reading the book. It goes to like a little flashback to where is it her? Is she the actress who's also they they just like she does have does her makeup and curls her hair so she looks different. So my wife is the one who brought it up. She's like, oh, it's the same lady. I'm like, oh, is it? Like I I couldn't tell. But it was kind of cool. So she was like, as she was reading it, they were reliving it and showing like what was happening. And I thought that whole premise was kind of cool. And uh, that creature at the very beginning, I got the, it looked like a taller version of the, like the sorority babes at the slime bowl ballerama. That that little creature, like he was funny, but this looked like just a taller alien creature type thing. And I got some creep show vibes from the little crate that the thing was in. So. What what I liked about what I liked about the creature is you just said that I didn't even think about that. You're right. It reminds me of the creature in Sorority Girls at the Slime Bullorama. Brian, you talk about how it's very similar to his other movie, Gate, to the creature in Gate. But what I liked about this was the creature that you, you see twice in this film, at the beginning and then again later on towards the end, it's the stop motion animation. And it was like it was kind of a nod to, you know, like nineteen sixty three Jason and the Argonauts with that stop motion by Ray Harryhausen, which is you know, very influential in the special effects world. So, uh, and it seemed to move a little bit smoother than some of that older stuff I thought, but I liked how that was kind of tapped in there, you know, dropped in there. See the stop motion stuff. I always think of, uh, the clash of the Titans movie. Was that late seventies? Yeah. Same thing. But yeah, that was like a TBS staple when I was growing up. WGN theater that used to be, uh, right after mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom on Sundays at like noon. Uh, there was a WGN show that showed a lot of Disney stuff, and I think that may have even shown on it. Yeah, I guess the guy that did like the special effects and um, like the animation and the digital effects, he went on to do The Gate, Poltergeist 2, um, The Thing, a lot of stuff for The Thing, all of the Lord of the Rings movies. I didn't know that. Had a hand in all Lord of the Rings movies. You know, that's cool. I mean, he seemed like he did well, too, from this movie. Well, and he's the same guy who actually played the killer in this movie, right? Isn't the special effects guy, didn't he play the, the villain, the killer? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it would make sense with all the special effects work they did on the makeup and stuff. Yeah, I looked at some of the actors and actresses in this movie, and I was just trying to see if any of the names or faces rung a bell. or And they really didn't, and I didn't really click on them and kind of dig through, but... Oh, well, Jenny Wright, man, the, the beautiful Jenny Wright. She was also in uh, Near Dark, for example, a classic movie within its... We will have to cover that classic horror movie as well. And then I always... I feel like Jason would like that one. I always... Well, because it's a love story, and I'm I'm kind of surprised that I, I don't get the impression that he appreciates this one as much as it should be appreciated, which is fine. You know, it takes all kinds. Because at its core, this movie is a love story. crickets yeah okay this 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 movie is a love story this this guy traveled through time through literature to find the woman that he loves the the madman in this movie literally slices off the features of his face and kills people and grafts parts of them onto himself so he can impress the young woman because he is in love with her so much if that's not love i don't know what is yeah i blanked on that i was thinking about what you were saying, you said love story. I was thinking between the cop and the young lady. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of one-sided. She seems to like him a lot more than, you know, he just comes around, you know, for that booty call. And then 
<laughs> essentially but no you're yeah you're 100 percent right you know and when he was slicing the features off was he making a mask it, it looked really good it looked like it was actually part of his face but then i'm wondering how how he's doing it so quickly he was a uh, they talk about he was a uh, uh... Uh, a vet, a veterinarian, and he was some sort of you know doctor, and obviously he had his mad scientist lab and stuff like that. So I think he's and he you know, would shoot his face full of novocaine so he wouldn't feel the pain. But yeah, he wasn't making a mask. He was actually like he literally sliced his own nose off, and then later on in the film, killed somebody, cut their nose off, and sewed it onto his face. And those special effects were fantastic. The way the skin looked, it was like blue. Like it wasn't getting like the oxygen or it was, you could tell like parts of his face were dying. Like they weren't properly attached, you know, with the whole blood flow. And well, it was cool. They paid, they paid attention to the details because the parts that were sewn on first. And then when you see other parts that were sewn on, the parts that were sewn on first were more discolored. You could, you know, they've been on there longer. So they, they paid attention to little details like that. I think he went to the TCU school of uh, taxidermy. Texas Chainsaw University School of Taxidermy and uh, Face Making. He did all right. He probably dropped out after the first semester, but I think he got what he needed to get out of the, the school. He didn't use a chainsaw, though. He he used mother he used Mother's Helper, the big old straight razor. Yeah, I sent that to client. I was like, yeah, he, Mother's Helper in this movie, too. <laughs> like, it's weird. These movies all tie together. Again, six degrees of separation. Yeah, I really liked the flashback parts, like the old 50s-style parts, probably more than I liked newer stuff. So I wish I would have got maybe a little bit more of that. But, I I mean, I enjoyed the movie kind of deep on some levels that I was like, this is A24 before A24. This is that. I think I had said something to you, Clint. I was like, this is that weird, like, transition period in the 80s into the 90s where they went from, like, slasher 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 clive barker because i kind of got that kind of feel from it too like a clive barker film like a hellraiser or a nightbreed something along those lines where it had some deep rooted meaning that was layered under there somewhere i mean like you said a love story and especially the ending when we get to that was like oh this is a24 before people called it elevated horror and there was an a24 well, it's funny you bring up Clyde Barker because I view this as the poor man's Candyman. There are a lot of similarities between this movie and Candyman if, if you really sit down and watch it, pay attention and think about it. Even the uh, the ending, which I'm not even going to, we always say, oh, we're going to jump ahead. Shit, we always jump all over the place on these movies. So at the end, when the creature and the killer are, are you know killed, they, they kind of push each other through a window and the window opens and then um, all these pages of the book fly off. And it looks just like when Candyman dies and all these bees kind of fly off and disperse into the sky over the city. Uh, there was a lot of similarities. This is even um, in my psychotronic video guide. Um, to go along with what you're saying, Brian, it says, although parts are boring and a bit confusing, which I think some people get confused about the flashbacks. I don't think they were necessarily flashbacks. It was showing you that she was an avid reader and she was so into the story, it was almost like you were looking into her imagination. And that imagination is where the killer, who was almost Freddy-esque, Freddy Krueger-esque in that, in that aspect, could kind of like come through out of the book into reality. But it said this movie is more interesting than most dream reality supernatural killer movies. Uh, and it does include some fun references to Hitchcock. Yeah, I think it was a whole timing issue for me. I wasn't big into the movie, but it drug on. It went on for quite a while. 
it, what it did well is I didn't know if it was all in her head, which it seemed to be a lot of the times. I figured she was just seeing this guy, like especially when she's in the, the elevator at the police station and all of a sudden he's in there with her and then the door opens up and there's a cop standing there. Nobody sees this weird looking guy in there with her, but she saw him. It was kind of a mind fuck where it's like, okay, is she really seeing him? For a while though, I thought, I was like, oh my God, she's the killer. She's she's doing this. But then, because she's at all the scenes, but then I'm like, oh, she's not bloody though. So I don't know. It, it was it was a whole thing, but the killer looked really cool though. Well, I could see why you could you would think that, that it's possibly like a, she has a split personality because everybody who gets murdered in this movie are people that she's around with, you know, her coworker, so two different people from her theater acting group. Yeah, they're they're all people that she surrounds herself with. Yeah, the piano man that she listens to every night. That's cool, man. That like that whole thing. I was like, man, I wish I lived in that apartment. I have a thing for for old Hollywood. You know what I mean? When I when I went there back in uh, 2003, I stayed a couple weeks sightseeing and not touristy stuff like just i was actually trying to take in the city and man i would love to live in that building and at night it's hot summer night your windows are open and the security guard at the piano shop across the streets playing piano and that that was all just really like beautiful and poetic and but I, i do agree with you i think if i had one real negative thing to say about this film it is the pacing it is it's a slow burn i've seen it before i enjoy it when I was watching it last night, I was yawning about three quarters of the way through, you know, because I was just, there's not a lot of action to keep you up, keep you up and awake. I liked what the killer kept saying to her, though. He was like, you know, one way or another, I will have your heart. Kind of the play on words there, like either you will love me or I will literally have your heart. Yeah, she referenced that in, in she referenced that in the book, he was, if he didn't win her over that he was going to cut out her heart and wear it around his neck like a necklace. So her heart was close to his. Yeah. Where do I know the police officer from? He, I, I know Jenny Wright from the actress that's in near dark and she's in some other stuff, but I felt like I looked at the, the police officer, her boyfriend or her fling, whatever he is. And I was like, he looks familiar. But when I looked him up, I could not find anything that I thought he looked familiar from. Maybe he just has one of those faces that you're like, oh, he looks like so-and-so. So I felt like she did a really great job. The killer did a really great job. The boyfriend did a, a good job. But some of the other actors I just felt were too much, maybe. Some of the theater people. And maybe they're supposed to be that way. You know, it's a theater group. Maybe they're overacting or, you know, some of the other stuff. I was just like when the guy, they cut the guy from her theater class's uh, nose off, the cops kept, like, lifting the sheet. Like 15 times I felt like they lifted the sheet. I'm not sure what they were. It was the back of his head. And I, they just kept lifting the sheet. And I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Why do they keep lifting the sheet? It was. They were like, they were like, Bob, did you see this shit? Come over. You got to see this. Look, look. Oh, my God. It's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I get you on the, I get you on the theater kid stuff because I'm an old theater kid. And so, and this isn't, I'm not saying this as a negative towards theater people. But, yeah, theater people tend to be very theatrical. Even in their just normal conversations and lives, I think it's because we're so used to being on stage and you know being poignant with our with our movements and stuff. But it was kind of cool though when they uh they threw a little Shakespeare in there, you know, kind of in the beginning of the movie when you realize she's part of a theater group and uh, she shows up to class or whatever. Her and and her theater partner were gonna audition or do whatever, and they were covering Othello. A little Shakespeare on there, a little sophistication to this serial killer slasher movie. Another cool thing about it that you know. 
overall, you know, like I'm saying, wasn't top of my list movie, but some of the stuff that they did, the lighting was really cool. Yes. Yeah, like the way they played with the shadows and, you know, you would see stuff, but you wouldn't really see it. Like when he pulled the shade down when he was over there killing the piano man and and just other scenes with it. They shadows when he's walking around doing stuff. And well, and some of the scenes, there was one that was a cool transition. It was the first time where you see her where you think it's a flashback, but it's almost like she's into the book and then you kind of see. And that's why I got confusing for some people, because the transition of the current reality and then when she would get into the book and then it would switch over to her reliving these or living these scenes the um, the lighting was i thought man this lighting's terrible why does he have it so dark and there was like a lot of clutter but it was to transition it was the seamless transition from then until you know the past time where she's in that story i loved it you're right yeah i'm glad you said that he did a lot a lot with lighting and then there was um when her cop boyfriend came over i think it was like the second time he showed up to her apartment and she almost hit him with the fire poker because she thought it was, you know, the killer. We, the killer is um, Dr. Kessler, or I think his name's also Malcolm Brand, depending on which of the two books you read. But anyway, um, she's getting ready to hit him with the fire poker. She doesn't. She realizes it's him. They walk the rest of the way in, and you see this shadow figure real quick standing behind him. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that was supposed to be Malcolm Brand, the killer, just hiding in the shadows. But I read that there was some goofs. And that there was one scene in the apartment, so that might have been the scene where um, there were just crew members, sound people and stuff that were trying to hide in the shadows, and they, they didn't hide so much. So, happy accident. It worked. Well, you were talking about different actors in this movie, and the actress who played Mona, who she worked with at the library, for years, I thought it was the same actress who played um, Jane in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which I always thought was interesting because that movie was about a theater group. And uh, granted, that was in Florida, and this this movie is set in L.A., but I finally looked it up last night to find out for sure, and I'm wrong. It's a completely different person. And they're, like, actually 10 years apart or something like that in age. But I'm just going to ignore it because she, it, to me, it's the same actress from Children Should Play With Dead Things. No, I was just going to say, isn't it funny? We watch a movie that's deep. Like, this movie's got layers to it, and we have, like, hardly anything to say about it. But we watch a movie like Maximum Overdrive and we talk for fucking two hours about it. And it's, I mean, Maximum Overdrive I, might have some deep meaning to it, but on the surface, it's pretty shallow. I mean, it's about trucks that come alive and people want to survive and kill the trucks and the trucks want to kill us. You know, like this movie is like an onion, as Shrek would say or Donkey would say, like an onion. As layers. <laughs> when it was getting down to the end and they got the clue about the library, the love sick lady at the at the what I forget what it said, at the bookstore or something. Yeah, or with the cat with the cat on the stair on the whatever in the front or something. And I instantly knew it was her friend. I was like, Why are they going to the fucking library? Her friend. She's talking the whole time about oh, I wish I would meet somebody like Richard or, you know, and then the cat literally jumped out and scared her. And she was like, oh, I found the cat like out front this morning. And she's there every fucking day. <laughs> so, of course, he's like stalking her and knows, but no, it's got to be the public library. And and he stole her luscious lips. You're right, though. This movie is very layered pulp fiction. It's very film noir. Like you said, the lighting's even shot almost, the, you know, the lighting was almost used like a, like it was shot in the, like an old school black and white flick. Maybe that's why some of the lighting is so fantastic is just the filmmakers approach to the subject matter. 
you know, how the literature is involved and how there's, it's not just this guy is crazy. He wrote a book and he's coming back and killing people. Like you find out she tracks down the publisher who's like the smut publisher down in the red zone, the red district, red light district. You hear a backstory about when Malcolm Brand was alive and he wrote these two books in real life, did cut off his own features and he went crazy. And he said that the characters from the book, you know, talking to him and not doing what he wanted them to do. And that's why he quit writing and went crazy. You find out that he spent the last year of his life in a rubber room and then he escaped one night and they found him torn to shreds by a wild animal, which has to be the creature from the first book that he wrote that he's like also a character of where he's this mad doctor back in the old Hollywood in the thirties. And um, what he created the Jackal boy with, I don't know, an embryo of a creature and an unwitting, unwilling surrogate who died in birth. I mean, it's just, yeah, layers and layers. Like you could sit here forever and talk about all the layers of this. But I think a reason it's a sleeper and a lot of people don't appreciate it and it doesn't get the love is that all those layers and all those mentions are very subtle. It's slow paced and they're very subtle. Nothing really jumps out in your face like a Batman punching the face, pow sign, pow. You know, it's all just very kind of even and subtle, but. I did like the part where she goes into that uh, guy's office and he's on the phone and he's smoking and he's doing all this stuff. She's like, are you so-and-so? And he's like, no. And he makes up some other name because he's like, usually if somebody shows up at his office, they're like, I'm there for money or I'm going you know, to, you didn't pay me my money. If you're looking for that guy, I'm not that guy. He, his office is three blocks down the street, take a right and then go another two blocks, you know, room 1408, uh, hotel there, you know, that's his office. I'm not him. Well, and that's where she kind of realizes what's going on because she looks at the book and she finds out it says nonfiction. So nonfiction, of course, is real life stuff. So that made her really question it and start looking into it. Which the that's where the when the publisher said he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, he insisted that that I publish it with that on there because he said it was real life. It wasn't a work of fiction. And everybody just dismissed him as crazy. But I wish there was a little more where we could find out why was it uh well no actually there's some there's again this is real subtle i just thought about it but so malcolm brand has died it's it's modern times now it's 1989 oh i don't know when he died but modern times and his estate sale full of books and old newspaper clippings and stuff gets shipped to the bookstore where she works that's how jenny wright gets roped into all this that's how she got the first book right yep and then wanted wanted to find the second one Oh my God, I completely, I just got a bunch of static in my headphones and I completely lost my train of thought. Oh no. So as she, um, as she is going through there, she comes across some books on, um, alchemy. Like he was an alchemist, but again, it's so super subtle. It's like, well, why is all this happening? And then, oh, perhaps it's because he was into black magic and dark arts and stuff like that. You know, it's one of those movies you could watch 15 times and then you would totally get the scope of everything that's going on. But you'd have to have that patience to go through it that much. I will watch it again and a few more times. Because you're right. If you can get past the pacing and really soak up what it has to offer, then um, you are going to catch new things every time. And with all the lighting like Jason was talking about, you're going to visually see new things all the time. Yeah, see, visually, too, that the movie is so layered. A lot of it is because their sets were always so cluttered. They had some great sets, too. A lot of it was... They didn't build anything. It, that's all. They had some great locations, but then they would fill it and layer it with all the stuff. There's so much to look at and take in. But apparently most of the world agrees with Jason because the only thing I could, I could not find what the budget was to make this film. 
I can only imagine in 1989 with the effects that it had that it was it was up there. I don't think this was like Night of the Comet with a $700,000 budget. I think this had at least a couple million, but I don't know. But from what I could find, it only made $151,203. So I think there's a lot of people who just didn't get it. Like it says in Psychotronic Video Guide, are confused by it, didn't appreciate it. It doesn't get the love that I think it deserves or, you know, a chance. But Shout Factory, Scream Factory there, they've given it a Blu-ray, Blu the, the Blu-ray treatment. They didn't do that for Maximum Overdrive. And if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, this movie gets like a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, where Maximum Overdrive got 15 or whatever. Again, I want an investigation. I want an investigation into who runs Rotten Tomatoes, but... Yeah, maximum overdrive, and that's 15%. I don't get that, but I mean, it's whatever. Right, so how can that movie... Well, I guess a lot of people hate that movie too, but more people like it and appreciate it than I'm Madman. So how can that get a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes? And this movie, which appears to have taken a huge financial loss, not a lot of people know about it, have seen it, or appreciate it, get 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, speaking of ratings... You'll have to ask the tomato people. Speaking of ratings, uh, what do you guys think? You want to rate this movie? You want to go first, Jason? So when I first talked to you guys last night, I mentioned it. We didn't. I didn't go into anything. Of course, we kind of save it all for this episode. Um, I was like, okay, I want. I want to. I want to think about it. I want to let it kind of like sink in, like because I'll I'll watch a movie and then I'll go back and think about a lot of the stuff. I notice when I don't like a movie as much, I talk about more of the good stuff. <laughs> But then when I like a movie, I like with Halloween, I remember talking about some of the bad stuff in it. You know, this movie had some good stuff, but still just the whole movie in general. I'm going to give it middle of the road a five. I want to give it a four horrible nonfiction books out of ten. But I'll go with five right down middle of the road. And I think the timing issue just kind of threw it for me. But it, it did have some good qualities, but I probably won't revisit it. What about you guys? What do you think? You are verbally dyslexic. I agree with you 100%. That blew, that blew my mind when we covered Halloween and you were like, this sucks and this sucks. And I'm going, what? And then I really got the impression, although you didn't convey specifically last night, I got the impression that you didn't enjoy this movie. And then so we're covering it and you're like, well, this part was cool and the lighting was cool. And I'm like, what, the, what is going on? Totally am. Because, I mean, everybody knows how much I love Halloween. Love Halloween. So, I mean, it's like, let's keep it real. I don't want to, like, gloat over it the whole time. So, Well, some people happen to disagree with Jason, and that's okay. Because, like Brian says, just because someone likes it and someone doesn't like it doesn't mean it's anything better or worse than the rest. The Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films gave this uh, Jenny Wright the Saturn Award for... Or she, I'm sorry, she was nominated for the Saturn Award for the Best Actress. And then at the... What is this? I never even heard of this one. It's the Evora, A-V-O-R-I-A-Z, Fantastic Film Festival. The director, Tibor Takis, got the grand, he won the grand prize for best director. So some people dig it. For this movie? Yes. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Which you got to wonder, I've never even heard of that one. So is that, because again, this movie looks like it's kind of rooted in, in theater. I mean, it's even showcased a little bit. You know, is that more of a theatrical group as opposed to a 80s horror motion picture group? Brian, what do you think? Well, I gave it a six. Middle of the road. Enjoyed parts of it. Enjoyed the makeup. Enjoyed the killer. Enjoyed his weapon because it's kind of a odd throwback to, you know, it doesn't have a big axe or a big machete or any of that kind of stuff. Nothing off the wall. So just a simple mother's helper slicing people up. Say six. Uh, luscious lips from the cat lady. 
So is that a three? Or could you have two lips? <laughs> Looking too much into it. I don't know, but they were luscious. What about you, Clint? One of my favorite haunt characters when I had the haunted house was I named him Hal and I had this specific mask that I wore and it just freaking hit me because you were just, you were saying that and I was thinking about his lips. And so I'm thinking about the killer's face. Hal looked a lot like Malcolm Brand by the end of this movie. So I wonder if that was like some, some conscious thing. And before I write, I got to say one more quick thing. And that is one thing that no one can dispute whether you like the movie or not. Well, I don't think you can anyway. The actor who played the killer, Malcolm Brand, that creepy. He was creepy as shit. His movements, his appearance, his vocals, his eyes, what they did with the makeup in his eyes, that was very creepy. So, yeah, again, I'm not going to say this was a cinematic masterpiece. I enjoyed the film. Um, I do kind of like slower-paced Pulp Fiction film noir movies like this. I get into old black and white films like this all the time. I get lost in them. But I'm going to go six also. It is better than average but it is not the best flick in the world. And I do wonder if this influenced Candyman. It's crazy, but it's possible because Clive Barker is also in that kind of theatrical, traditional art world. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it six generic plastic surgeon homeschool lessons out of 10 because he taught himself how to do all this stuff. Well, that's one of the things we didn't talk about uh, when we first started this episode is we we kind of chose this movie because it's about literature and it's back to school time for most people um, when we record this episode so get out your books and start reading i madman and see what happens you in addition you could also read things like the psychotronic video guide you could read i don't know from the necronomicon you could read creep show comics which there's some new ones coming out here soon in september or you could read the list of horror podcasts that are on our network. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from the podcast network, we have a couple questions from the Rag and Dragons. No, I don't. No one's going to know what the hell that is. Oh, I'm leaving it in. The, I'm leaving it in. Our friend Sarah from the Baltimore, Maryland area, and she said, uh, since you all have kids and horror is a really big part of your lives, how old were you, your children, when you let them watch their first scary movie, and what was it? What do you got, Jason? Do you remember? I don't think I would have ever, like, shielded them from stuff, you know? I probably had some scary movies on. If it was intense, scary movies, of course, I wouldn't let little kids watch them, like, if somebody's getting mutilated. But if it's kind of, you know, fun ones. I mean, there's Goosebumps, which is aimed for kids. And I honestly don't remember, but I don't think I would really hold them back. If my kids are, you know, seven, eight, they could watch, you know, maybe Halloween. I mean, it's not that bad of course that was probably the first one i let them watch because <laughs> eh, one of my millions of times of watching it yeah no i don't remember but yeah if i if i had to do it over again i wouldn't hold them back i know you guys could probably speak 
more about it because I mean your kids are younger and mine are older and I'm such an old man and just don't remember as much anymore. What about you, Clint? Do you remember? It, it, well, yeah. So my oldest is 15. My youngest is 11. My bonus middle is 15. Also, you know, it's, it's so my father was born on Halloween. His mother, my grandmother, was born on Devil's Night. My mother was born in November, which Scorpios, I believe it's Scorpio, are most likely to be serial killers. I'm probably going to end up being a serial killer. This stuff has always been a part of my life. I was born into this creepy world of horrific creepiness. So with the, my babbling point is they've always been around. We're, you know, I did the haunted house. We're huge into Halloween. So we, they grew up watching Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Garfield Halloween and stuff like that. Like, do you consider that um, horror? Because it is, you know, to a degree. But I think the actual real horror horror, like, I don't know, adult horror movie. I think the first one that my oldest watched, and I want to say so she's 15, so probably 10 or 11. We finally sat down and um, I think it's because we were playing the Friday the 13th game. And that was kind of their segue into adult horror movies. And so finally I was like, all right, let's do it. So we, I sat down with the oldest and we watched the original Friday the 13th, which led to us watching the entire series. But I remember the, it wasn't the horror that got me. It was, it was the sexual situations. You know, she was at that age where nowadays anyway, it may seem too young, but nowadays you need to start having those conversations with your kids about things like that, you know? And so I was like, okay, she knows the birds and the bees. We've talked about things. So she's not going to like, oh my God, what's that? So I remember there's a scene where, um, oh God, who was it? It was when um, Kevin Bacon and I forget the actress and they were making love. And then above them was a dead counselor. I think the dead, I can't remember who was above him. But anyway, uh, I so the scene goes, gets over with and I go, all right, well, you see that? Yeah. So that's how you make babies, except for the dead guy in the top bunk, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we laughed about it and it was fun. So now my youngest, I think the first horror like I, we started with like frankenstein old vincent price movies like last man on earth and then we kind of graduated to like return of the living dead part two which is a great segue film i think for younger children if you want them to be exposed to the horror genre because there's no sex it's gory but it's funny you know and there's some scary moments in there and then from there i'm pretty sure that the youngest went you know into that friday the 13th franchise because we were all right in the middle of it yeah i think that's it now they're just demons and watch whatever they want and have seen shit that I'm probably too abashed to watch. And now I'm sure Brian can speak for, you know, the most part. He's got like a, a little one at home. So what has she what has she watched with you? I want to I wanna hear this. Oh man. So she was in and out of the room for I Madman. She'd come in, the killer would come, she'd run out of the room because she thought he was scary. Then she'd run in and there wouldn't be anything going on, so she'd sit there for a minute and then she'd Finally, towards the end of the movie, she got her tablet out and put her headphones on watching Descendants or something like that. All that Garfield Halloween, Hocus Pocus is a great one for little kids. Even like the Descendants movies, I don't know if you guys know what those are, but they're like villains, uh, Disney villains. Yeah, they're kids. Those kind of have some you know horror themes when like uh, Ursula's daughter comes out of the ocean and she's got the big tentacles and she's fighting the dragon. So, you know, that's some horror-themed stuff for little kids. Um, Finley's caught, like, Halloween Part 2 on bits and pieces of it. And it's weird. In this country, we worry about violence more. And in other countries, they or maybe even sex more than violence. You know, we have some, I have some uh, friends that live in Germany, and they're all about violence. Here, you could be naked on TV in Germany. 
doing the deed, no one cares. But if you put violence up, then it's a no-go. So I feel like we're kind of the opposite here. We worry about sex and maybe not violence so much in this country. But yeah, her early is, you know, Hocus Pocus, the Peanuts special, the Garfield special. We watch all those around Halloween and she catches bits and pieces. She's in that weird transition phase where like when they're a baby, you can watch anything. And then they get to a certain age and you're like, nope, I've shielded you from all this stuff. And then they get back into an age where you can slowly start having them watch stuff. So I'm getting more into the, I have to watch stuff on my laptop in the other room, not in the front room. I miss that age, man, because we would soak up Caillou Halloween and Thomas the Tank Engine Halloween and Bubble Guppies Halloween and anything you could think of was Halloween. Like, Let's watch it. But you talked about Descendants. You talked about Descendants. Did you see uh, Disney on this a couple of years ago? They put two of them out. It was Zombies, and it was just like Descendants, where it was like the musical. Mm, there's actually three of them. Is there a new one now? I got to watch it. I haven't seen it. So, yeah, I'm hoping the Spirit of Halloween's along the lines of where you can take her, maybe take her or show it to her. Is there, a, is there a rating for that yet? I would think that would be more aimed for kids, but, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I finally watched the trailer and I got I got a little more of a Fear Street vibe on the lighter side. So it didn't look like it was, you know, it looked like um, Hocus Pocus. Uh, it looked like a darker Hocus Pocus. Maybe that's a good way to explain it. I remember when uh, Jack was probably uh, eight or nine, we were watching Goosebumps and I was like, okay, buddy, I'm going to lay down. I'm tired. And he's like, okay, I'm going to keep watching these. Like an hour later, he comes running in the room ball and he's like, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I was like, well, it's time to turn it off then. Like, I think it was like a creepy doll episode and he does not like dolls. And he was just like, no, I'm done with Goosebumps for the night. Those are good too. You know, Goosebumps and uh, stuff like that's always, uh, are you afraid of the dark are always good ones to bring in. You know, start them kind of early with that kind of stuff. That kind of reminds me with my oldest daughter. Um, she was into like YouTube videos about, she loved ghost hunters she loved like paranormal research stuff. She would always search on YouTube for ghost videos. She was probably, oh, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that. And she was watching all these videos, maybe, maybe a little bit younger. She got, she would, that's all she would watch. She would love that stuff. She got to one YouTube video. She was sitting there on the couch with my laptop and she was watching it with her headphones on. She lets out a blood curdling scream pushes the laptop off of her lap. We're like, what the hell? So we go over there, we watch the video with her. And it's the one where like, you you guys have probably seen it. The girl's like in the bathroom, like playing in the mirror. And then she turns, but the image on the mirror doesn't turn. And it just goes to like a ghost face or something. And it scared the shit out of her. And she stopped watching that stuff. She was like immediately done. And even to this day, like when we put on like a scary movie, she's not all about it. She'll go to the theater with us and watch like a movie every great once in a while. But most of the time she's like, no, I don't care. It just reminded me of that and what would have been if she would have just kept watching that stuff. You know what? I had my little my buddy here with me all the time. But so for our uh, second question, uh, we have Eric Wesselman, I think is how you say his last name. And he says, uh, what is a line for you where a scary narrative in any medium ceases to be entertaining and enjoyable and just becomes disturbing questions kind of tie together actually really well yeah because for, for me for me it's going to be about the kids you know and i don't know if it's because we're parents that, that probably plays a huge part i talked in a past episode about one of the scariest things i ever saw was taken with liam nielsen where his you know of course she was a 
older teenage daughter, but got taken, you know, and abducted and thrown into this world of, you know, sexual abuse and all this stuff. And so that, but, or Brian, you talked, uh, we talked on an episode and you mentioned, I can't remember the movie right now, but it was where they did uh, an act. They showed an actual autopsy on a, on a young child. To me, that is the most horrifying and taboo thing. And I think it is to a lot of other people and filmmakers too. Like if you look at, um, look at the original Dawn of the Dead, 1978. Do you remember the scene at the airport in the beginning where Ken Forey goes in and the two little kids are zombies and come out and attack him? And if you watch that scene, that scene, all the other zombies in that movie, their heads explode and it's gory and horrific and glorious. But those two kids, it was all intercut. Bang, 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 bang. So you knew that he was shooting these two young zombie kids, but you didn't actually see full bore on action of the kids killing. So I that's just an example of many when you get to messing around with with young children and the innocence that to me is like i you know what i don't want to watch this anymore it's not entertaining there's a scene in the new it movie that i guess was cut out where pennywise i think eats a baby and i was hoping it gets released sometime i don't know why i'm hoping that but it's just like once you hear about it you kind of want to see like what they do visually because you know it's not real yeah it's anything with kids it, it doesn't matter it doesn't even have to be horror movies it's I think of like my girl with Macaulay Culkin, like back in the day when he dies from bee stings. And I mean, it's just truly like, oh, why'd they have to do that? You know, but then we're all into horror movies. So that's, I don't know, of course, ties in there. I, I get real unnerved, like watching movies like that. Brian, what freaks you out, man? Well, that movie you're talking about is called uh, Men Behind the Sun. And that, yeah, they do show an actual autopsy. I mean, it was performed for scientific reasons, but somehow they got the footage and put it in the movie. I know we had talked about Pumpkinhead was one of my hard watches just because a little kid dies. And I won't watch, uh, what's that, a Serbian film because of some of the stuff that goes on in that movie. We're currently on season 42 of uh, Law & Order SVU, so that's always a fun one with all the kids and stuff. And I'm just like, when's the show over? But uh yeah, with kids, and I know a lot of people, it's animals, it's dogs, it's any kind of animal, cannibal holocaust. Um, Shudder even put like a snippet on the thing, like this movie contains this kind of footage. And I think they even released maybe a mo the movie without that footage in it, clip that footage out, put it out still. Because that's, I mean, I guess that's the most disturbing part of that movie to some people. I've seen the movie, it's kind of all disturbing. But uh, yeah, it's the kids for me. I know, like I said, for a lot of people, it's animals. I would imagine for a lot of people, it's whatever in their life. I mean, if you've had a significant other die in a horrific crash or, you know, if you've had somebody in your life die of cancer or suicide, those are all going to be triggers for people that you put a movie on. And, you know, we had talked about um, the black phone. You know, Clint, you had somebody that had been through stuff like that in their life and it was really bothersome to them. So, yeah, it all kind of ties back to parts of our lives. You know, sometimes that's good when a movie makes that connection, and sometimes it's not good when a movie makes that connection. I'm sure there's people that watch A League of Their Own, and they're like, oh, I loved playing baseball when I was younger, and I used to play softball, and, you know, it's a great movie to go back and watch. And we just had to fill the Dreams game in Iowa, and I'm sure there's people like, oh, I miss playing catch with my dad. And then there's going to be people that are like, oh, yeah, I remember when my cousin was traf trafficked, you know, over to... Bolivia, I'm not going to watch Taken, you know, like, so it all kind of ties back to life for us. And I, I know there's a lot of people, too, who can't deal with when um, just a, a film 
covers just graphic subject material to begin with, like I spit on your grave. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that I enjoy watching what happened to that woman happen to her. That movie was actually really hard to watch. It was very realistic and brutal. You know, it, it kind of you know, influenced and, and shaped me on how I viewed films from that point on. But yeah, bottom line, things where it's like, uh, this is there's no entertainment value in this. There's no social comment. There's nothing to take from this is when you start messing around with kids. On a, on a real oddball, almost... Um, I don't want to contradict myself, but have you guys, you seen the movie Feast, you know, uh, the the late who just passed away, Clue Gulliger, Gallagher, I said his last name, from Return of the Living Dead. His son did that Greenlight Project movie Feast with Ben Affleck and um, Matt Damon. Well, they made a couple direct-to-video sequels. Have you guys seen those? Uh, in my opinion, they are terrible. It's like something you would see in the sci-fi channel, but it has a lot more blood and guts. And there's a scene where there's this baby, and the baby is in like the middle of the street, and all these monsters from the feast monsters are going to get to it. So this guy like jumps off this roof or something and he grabs the baby and he's running away. And then he realizes he's not going to make it. And so what does he do? And my hand is over my mouth. Like, Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. He does. He tosses the baby up in the air. It was kind of like computer graphics or something because they, there's no way they could have actually tossed a baby, but it looks so freaking real. You know, it wasn't an animatronic or a dummy. And he just, he's like, sorry, baby. And he throws it in the air and he keeps running. And then I'm like, oh, God, they're not going to show the baby hit the pavement. And they do. The baby smacks the pavement and blood goes everywhere. And I'm going, oh, my fucking God. What did I just see? What did they just, they went for total, total shock factor. The reason I say contradictory was the tone in which it was shot. How do you say that that's comical? Because it's not. It goes against what I just said. And I mean what I said. When you start screwing around with, with young children, it's like no more. But the way they shot that, it was almost meant to be funny. It was a horror comedy where they killed a baby. It was weird. Well, and we had talked about on the night of the comment episode, the kid. What, what would you guys have done with the kid? And we're all like, take him out. I know he's a kid, but you got to take him out. It's time to go. Like Or the uh, the episode of The Walking Dead where Carol kills the two young girls. Just look at the flowers. Just look at the flowers. I remember when that came out. Well, that was a big damn deal. You know, people were, um, you know, affected. Heavy questions, man. Heavy questions. For a heavy movie. This is a heavy episode. It's going to be heavy. i pick something lighthearted for the next watch. So what do you got going on, Jason? Anything? No, nothing. He's flipping through his Rolodex right now, people, through his planner going, nope. Exactly, nope. exactly. Uh, we would be gearing up for Midwest Monster Fest, but unfortunately we just found out that that was postponed until next year. Uh, Jeff has been having some issues, so, um, you know, good luck to him. And Yes, get well soon, Jeff O'Neill. We're sad it's not going on, but, you know, I'm sure hopefully it'll be back next year and I'll be ready for it then, too. But other than that, no. I, I did. I did a post about that, and I meant what I said. It's it's a uh, anybody's health is above and beyond anything else. But with that said, it, it's a bummer because that event and that area, and you know, I met you guys there, and I've quickly become friends with a lot of people from the area. It's become a second home to me, and um, I'm really bummed that. I mean, I, I could still come there and hang out. You know what I mean? But it's I'm really bummed that it's. Uh, I was looking forward to celebrating all the things that we love together with you and a bunch of other people, and can't wait for next year. Yeah, maybe maybe someday you'll make it your first home. One of these days, maybe. In six years. I got to get these kids out of school. All right, Bri, what you got going on? So, uh, like you said, uh, Midwest Monster Fest is postponed till next year. So, I've just been kind of scouring the internet and looking for something to do in September. And 
Uh, there's some fall festivals going on in little, little towns around where I live, so I'm sure we'll hit one of those up. There's a the corn crib nursery up your way has a a fall festival that's coming up, so I'm sure one of those will you know pop up over a weekend. And September won't be too boring. If not, I'll just hang out at home and watch movies and prep for the film festival and maybe watch old episodes of Joe Bob. Ding. <laughs> Had to get that in there one more time. <laughs> It'll never get old. Clint does enough for all of us. He's probably got 15 conventions between now and the next episode. What you got, Clint? Let's see. Saturday, September 3rd, Ink Mirrors has a one-day event, and it is in Lansing, Michigan, and it is the Festival of Oddities. And it's, this year it's going to be headlined by um, Ari Lehman, who played Jason in the original Friday the 13th as a young boy coming out of the lake. Ari Lehman's going to be there. Um, I don't know if his band First Jason is playing or not, uh, but the convention itself, uh, outdoor event, and there's going to be, it's kind of like when I went to FrankenCon there, not FrankenCon, uh, FrankenFest, sorry. And you're going to have vendors, and you're going to have artists, and you're going to have reptiles, and you're going to have performers, and you're going to have oddities, and it's kind of just a mix of macabre. Um, then since Midwest Monster Fest has postponed, I am attempting to get into Horror Hound in Cincinnati the following weekend, which would be... September 9th, 10th, and 11th. I'm not holding my breath on that one because it's it's you know less than a month away. I'm sure they're already filled up, but I put some feelers out there, and you know we'll see what happens. And then finally, since um, directly because Midwest Monster Fest postponed, um, Saturday, September 17th, I was able to slide into Hearst Fest, which is in Fowlerville, Michigan, just a little little southwest of Lansing. They've been doing this for years. They used to run out of Hell, Michigan, a little town north of me. Uh, but there's a gajillion hearses that show up and, you know, vendors and all of us celebrating all the spooky shit that we enjoy. So that is the immediate future for myself. Yeah, I wish I had a bunch of stuff going on, but no, we're more like uh, fly out the seat of our pants. You know, we're just like, hey, this is going on this weekend. Let's go. Oh, okay. But yeah, I'm terrible about planning stuff. But yep, we'll live through Clint. We'll see some of the pictures he posts. He'll find all the cool pickups. Well, you were talking about maybe coming up in September. That'd be perfect, man. You come up up that weekend of the 17th when we were supposed to be doing Midwest Monster Fest. And you can go catch a football game. You can come check out Hearst Fest on that Saturday. Yeah, that'd be cool. I want to get up there. We can make fun of Brian behind his back. You know. Damn right. You can make fun of me in front of me. (laughs) I don't care. It's no fun. Uh, you said that, and I'm like, I'm going to say something. And I'm like, I don't know. You know what to say. It's not any fun. I did share some time with Catherine Mary Stewart and, you know, Ivan E. Raw. So you could, you could, that gives you a couple weeks to make fun of me. Uh, I can live high off that for a little while. That was super cool. And I mean, we'll get into that. Well, you'll, uh, see, I'm, I'm going to plug the bonus episode like it hasn't happened yet. So by now you have heard that on the bonus episode, that was a very cool moment. I uh, will talk about it again. The whole cast and I of the comment was very personable. Ivan E. Roth was very down to earth and humble and cannot thank those people enough. By now we've thanked them a few times, but can't take them enough for taking the few minutes out of their, their busy day there to record the intro to the night of the comet episode. Absolutely fantastic. Out of this world, even. Well, I think that's all we got for iMadman and why we're poor and the news for this episode. Don't forget to check us out on our social. I like a spooky horror podcast on Facebook. I like a spooky horror podcast on Instagram. And uh, I like it spooky. I like it underscore spooky on Twitter. I've said that 15 million times. I still can't get it. That underscore gets us every time. 
So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Have a good weekend. Make sure to read lots of scary books. <laughs>